Uh, so some of you know, you know, I have some uh, training as a professional linguist. So I'm going to try to get my presentation up here. So uh, we're going to be looking at Jonah 3 today, but as we get into Jonah 3, I, I thought we might look at a few words that might be difficult to say, because some of these words at the end are going to be really helpful in our message. So we're going to get warmed up. So if you know English, some English words are hard to pronounce. So we're, we're going to work on a few today. Can you practice a few with me? So the first is the word rural. Can you all say that with me? Rural. It's hard to say, isn't it? Rural, rural. So you have urban and rural, country and city. Stop. Okay, let's try another one. Ooh, how do you say this one? Anemone, 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 anemone. With fronds like these, who needs anemones? Anemone. It's this little sea creature. Okay, it's hard to say. Here's another one here. Maybe somebody in the medical field here can help us with this next one. Okay, on the count of three, we're going to try to pronounce it all at once, so we're not embarrassed. Ready? One, two, three. Otolaryngologist. Okay, very good. This is also known as an ENT doctor, or ear, nose, and throat doctor, but you see why they don't, you know. It looks good on a business card, but it's hard to pronounce. All right, now, but I think the most difficult words in English to pronounce are the ones that are coming next. Are you ready? Okay, let's all say it together. Count of three. Ready? I was wrong. Okay. See, some of you didn't say it. Who didn't say it? It's hard to say. You know, we say, we, we have to admit, you were right, and I was less right. You know, we can't say it. These are hard words to say. Why is it so hard to admit that we're wrong? The tongue is so quick to point out the faults of others, isn't it? But that tongue does not like to turn on its owner at all. You know, last week, Jacob uh, mentioned that Jonah chose rather to be thrown into the sea than admit that he was wrong. And for all of us, it's difficult for us to admit it as well. See, there's some pain that comes to our souls when we admit that we're wrong. There's some thing that dies in ourself and is very grievous when we have to bury one of those little lies, one of those illusions we hold to about ourselves. We hate admitting we're wrong. But there's only true comfort in the truth, and true comfort comes when we can admit when we're wrong. See, if I decide today I want to drive to St. Louis, and I get in my car, I pull out of the parking lot, I start driving, and after a little bit I see a sign that says, Welcome to Kansas. You know, I have a choice at that point, right? I can just keep on driving until I get to Goodland, or I can say, I was wrong, I can turn the car around, and I can go to St. Louis. And the sooner I turn the car around, probably the better that trip to St. Louis is going to be. So let's look at Jonah 3 this morning. If you have your Bible with you, we'll look at that. And uh, what I'd like us to do is just, uh, we'll try to keep you awake this morning. And uh, out of respect for God's word, let's all just stand together. And let's read Jonah 3, 1 through 10. 
Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. This time, Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, Forty days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. The people of Nineveh believed God's message. From the greatest to the least, they declared a fast, and they put on burlap to show their sorrow. When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne, took off his royal robes, and he dressed himself in burlap and sat on a heap of ashes. Then the king and his nobles sent this decree throughout the city. No one, not even animals from your herds or flocks, may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning, and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways, stop all their violence. Who can tell? Perhaps even yet God will change his mind from holding back his fierce anger from destroying us. When God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to all their evil ways, he changed his mind and he did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. Thank you. You may be seated and may the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word today. So let's talk a little bit about the story here. So uh, Jacob and uh, Larry last week uh, brought message on Jonah 1 and Jonah chapter 2. And we saw how God calls Jonah to go deliver a message to the city of Nineveh. But for all the reasons we said last week, Jonah didn't do it. Instead of going to Nineveh, he goes and he hightails it in the opposite direction just to get as far as he possibly can. And as he's running from God, he ends up sinking in the ocean, thinking his life is done, when suddenly he's swallowed by some kind of giant sea creature. Now, it's hard to imagine a more desperate situation. In the ocean, swallowed by a giant sea creature. Doesn't get more desperate from that. And as Larry pointed out last week, that'll do something to your prayer life in that kind of situation. And Jonah prays for help, and God does a couple amazing things. God preserves Jonah's life inside this creature. We don't know how it happened, but he does. And he gives Jonah a chance to rethink his life. Jonah turns his gaze to the Lord, and then God does something else unexpected. That fish goes ahead and expectorates Jonah onto dry ground. And this is where we pick up in chapter 3. Jonah finds his feet on dry ground again. Against all hope, he has a second chance at life. And then God gives him a second chance to obey. And I can almost hear God sigh before he says this. Okay, Jonah, let's try this again. And God gives the same message to Jonah. God's word doesn't change. God's heart for Jonah doesn't change. 
God's heart to reach out graciously and compassionately and with mercy to the people of Nineveh doesn't change. Jonah, go to the city of Nineveh and deliver the message I gave you. And this time, Jonah turns toward God in obedience and turns his feet toward Nineveh. He has a 600-mile walk in front of him. It's a long way to walk. But he goes. And he comes to this city, this great city, one of the greatest cities of its day. We know from the text later it had at least 120,000 people in it. And the text says it was a city of a three-day journey, which basically means it was a large metropolitan area. You know, the, the city walls themselves were smaller. Wouldn't it take you three days to go around those? But it was actually three or four cities set in kind of two river valleys that made a V. It'd be sort of like the greater Kansas City area. You know, you go Lee, Lee Summit and Raytown and Independence and Gladstone and all around. There's all these parts that make up the Kansas City area. In the same way, Nineveh was a large metropolitan area. And Jonah begins proclaiming his message. Forty days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. You know, Nineveh shows up in the town as a foreigner. Three days sitting in stomach acid, he probably doesn't look very good. And he delivers a very unpopular message. And the next statement in the text, if we look at verse 5, it's incredible. It says, the people believed Jonah's message. Is that what it says? The people believed God's message that Jonah delivered. Now, why they believed, we're not exactly told a lot of details. Now, some people have speculated that the people in this region, one of their local gods was a fish god. So if somebody shows up out of a fish's mouth, you better listen to him. Or maybe it was just Jonah's interesting story. But whatever the reason, we know whenever a heart turns toward God, it's because of the work of the Holy Spirit and God's grace on them. But they believed, and the turning is immense from the king to the lowest peasant. <clears throat> and they showed their repentance by their behavior. Contrast Noah here with uh, Jonah. Noah preaches for a hundred years as a righteous person. He has only his own family with him on the ark. Jonah is the most re famously reluctant and disobedient prophet we have on record. And he shows up, and in three days, the whole city is repenting. It's God's grace to this city. And then the God, who is gracious and compassionate, abounding in loving kindness, turns away from judgment and spares the city. So this is the story. This is as far as we come in chapter 3. Tonight, uh, Brother Ken will be delivering chapter 4, and we're so looking forward to that. But here in chapter 3, this is where the story ends. And so today, I want to bring two truths about God to you. Two truths about God and one action point. Two truths about God and one action point. There we go. So our first truth about God we want to look at is that God is unchanging. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God's messenger may run away, but God's message doesn't change. 
So God's word is unchanging. We can trust his word. Go back here, okay. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. We can trust his word. Jesus said it like this. I tell you the truth. Until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purposes are achieved. God's word stands. God's purposes stand. God's messengers may be unfaithful. Jonah ran away. But God's message for Nineveh didn't change. And when the word of the Lord comes to Jonah the second time, it's the same word. His word doesn't change. Um, the second major point under this is that God's nature doesn't change. Now, it's kind of interesting if you were just listening to this text and you would get to the end, it says, God changed his mind and he didn't carry out what he had threatened. Some translations say things like God relented. Uh, the, the Hebrew word behind this has the idea of changing one's actions based on a strong emotion. Based on some emotion, a person changes their actions. And you think, what's going on here? God said he was going to destroy the city, then he didn't. Whatever word you use, he said he was going to do it, then he didn't. What's happening? How does this fit? We just said God's word doesn't change, so what's the issue here? And it's interesting, there's other passages in Scripture where, like Moses, there's the famous story where Moses comes to God and says, don't destroy the people, please. God asks Moses to turn, no, Moses asks God to turn and to change your mind. And then God listens to Moses' prayer. Now, I'm glad I'm not the first person in the world that ever has read the Bible. The prophets, the apostles, the church fathers, and even our own Baptist tradition have affirmed again and again this doctrine we call the immutability of God. Immutability is a big fancy word that means it doesn't change. That God, in his nature, doesn't change. Now, when we talk about immutability, we mean God in his nature doesn't change. And we say it that way because God is not just like some big rock, like he's there. And he doesn't do anything, and he doesn't change that way. God is active. God's relational. He's doing things. But his actions and what he does and what he says comes from the center of a nature that never changes. It's always the same. The scriptures say it about Jesus like this. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know, there, there's places in scripture where God says, hey, I'm going to do this, and then he doesn't do it. But that doesn't mean his word changes, and that doesn't mean that his nature changes. It means that God is active and relational. And I, I like the way Ezekiel handles this. And I was tempted just to read like three chapters of Ezekiel to you all today because I think he says some really good stuff on this. So I'll read a little bit. This is from Ezekiel 18, where we really see the unchanging heart of God is what's behind this. 
Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 23. Do you think that I like to see wicked people die, says the Sovereign Lord? Of course not. I want them to turn from their wicked ways and live. Let's skip to verse 27. And if wicked people turn from their wickedness, obey the law, and do what is just and right, they will save their lives. They will live because they thought it over and decided to what? To turn from their sins. Such people will not die. And yet the people of Israel keep saying, the Lord isn't doing what is right. O people of Israel, it is you who are not doing what is right, not I. Verse 30. Get here. Oh, back one. Okay. Therefore, I will judge each of you people of Israel according to your actions, says the Sovereign Lord. Repent and turn from your sins. Don't let them destroy you. Put all your rebellion behind you and find yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why should you die, O people of Israel? I don't want you to die, says the Sovereign Lord. So turn back and live. God's proclamation of judgment is an opportunity for people to repent. It's not a promise that he's going to destroy them. It's a promise of what will happen if they continue to walk away from him. God is the source of every good and perfect thing, and apart from him there is no goodness, there is no life, there is no hope. But how we orientate ourselves to him is a very different experience. So think with me for a moment about gravity. You know, we had this, uh, some great science presentations here over the summer. Some of you had a chance to see that, and they talked about gravity there. And they're like, without gravity, no life could exist. In fact, without the exact gravity we have, life couldn't exist. And so we're grateful for, for gravity. But what happens if I walk off the peak of my roof? Whew. Is gravity so friendly to me in that circumstance? Was well, the same gravity, but I have oriented myself toward that gravity contrary to it. <laughs> and you can't fight it. Now, God is not impersonal like gravity. God is a person relating to us. But the way we relate to him will depend on our response. We see the unchanging nature of God in the cross of Jesus Christ as well. God is loving and merciful. He is also just and holy. Always. How can he do both at the same time? And we see them in the cross of Jesus Christ. In the cross of Jesus Christ, we have the complete satisfaction of the righteous demands of God. And we have God's mercy and grace toward us without measure. God doesn't change. Okay. So God is unchanging. Second truth about God today. God is abundantly merciful and kind. Jonah found this out. God delivered him from inside that sea creature. God gave him a second chance. God allowed him to be the instrument of blessing for this whole city. The people of Nineveh found that out that a God who they were not thinking about, that they didn't have knowledge about, that they didn't worship, reached out to them to bring them a chance to repent.
From Genesis to Revelation, we see God's nature as being good and kind. And we see that his kindness is undeserved. God doesn't love us because we are lovable. God loves us because he is love. God isn't good to us because he owes us a favor. God is good to us because he is good. God isn't merciful to us because he owes us something somehow. He is merciful to us because he is merciful. And God's care for us is relentless. Relentless. He doesn't give up. You know, if I was God and I told Jonah to go to Nineveh and he went to Tarshish, I'd be like, well, just have a good time out there. I'll get somebody else. But God's relentless at Jonah. He sends a storm. He sends a whale. In chapter 4, we're going to see him sending a worm. He's using all of these, like, creative and unexpected ways to relentlessly pursue Jonah. God doesn't give up. And we think about our own lives. Think about everything in your history that God did to bring you to himself. What people did God bring in your life? What institutions? What history? What events? And then even before you were born, how did your ancestors get to where they were, where they would hear the gospel? I just love uh, Ephesians on this. You know, we often think like, we get this picture of God like he's sitting in front, in, in front of some cosmic computer with his finger kind of dangling over the smite button, you know. Smite, 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 you know. Like, like that's our view of God. He's kind of just waiting for us to mess up or something. But that's not the picture the scriptures give. Scripture says God was planning for our good, for the good of his children before he created the world. And that's what he's doing. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 1, 4, and 5. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And this is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. This is not a God who's reluctantly good, but enthusiastically good as the center of his nature. And that's really the next point, is that his abundant kindness to us is beyond our imagination. I wouldn't have imagined helping Jonah with a whale beyond my imagination. (laughs) And there's things that God's done in my own life that I wouldn't have imagined. But we look back and God meets us in kind and unexpected ways with great creativity. Not all of his children are the same, and he deals with us differently. Okay. There's a passage you've probably heard before from Isaiah. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you can imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, 
and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. You know, I often hear this like in some sort of like esoteric theological sense, like his ways are not our ways, you know. It's kind of like, yeah, he's big and we're small. That's true. But what's the context? What happened in the two verses before this in Isaiah 55? What's the context? Well, I happen to have it. So we're jumping back. So we just read 8 and 9. Let's jump back and read 6 and 7 now. Seek the Lord while you can find him. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked change their ways and banish the very thought of doing wrong. Let them turn to the Lord that he may have mercy on them. Yes, turn to our God for he will forgive generously. What God is saying is the way I forgive, the way I reach out to you, the way I care about you is beyond what you can imagine. It's beautiful. God calls, Nin- calls Jonah to go to Nineveh and it blows his mind. Nineveh? Really? Those people? Who's the person in your life that you think they're beyond God? God's not interested in them. Who's the group of people you think about? God's not interested in those people, whatever the group is. No one is beyond God's mercy. And why this is so special is if no one is beyond God's mercy, that means I am not beyond God's mercy. And you are not beyond his mercy. And we see the greatest expression of the mercy and kindness of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. The greatest expression of his kindness we find in Jesus. And Jesus says something here about Jonah that I think is really great. So we're going to, I'm going to flip over to Matthew chapter 12. I'm going to start reading in verse 38. I don't have this on the screen, but I'm going to read this for us. <clears throat> One day, some teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees came to Jesus and said, Teacher, We want you to show us a miraculous sign to prove your authority. But Jesus replied, Only an evil and adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign. But the only sign I will give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. The people of Nineveh will stand up and condemn this generation on Judgment Day. For the people of Nineveh repented (coughs) of their sins at the preaching of Jonah. Now, someone greater than Jonah is here, but you refuse to repent. Jonah was a sign to the people of Nineveh. A guy shows up in their town who had been inside of a sea creature for three days. This was something pretty incredible. Jonah serves as a sign to them. He's as dead as you can get without being dead in the whale or whatever, you know, but here he is. And then we, Jesus is a sign to us, and not just to us, but to the whole world. He spent three days in a grave and rose again. 
And this is something that all of us have to give attention to. God shows his mercy and grace in the Lord Jesus. In the Lord Jesus, we have hope and eternal salvation. And we have a message for the nations. This is a message for the Ninevehs of today. For our New Yorks, our Londons, our Moscows, our Beijings, our Kansas cities, for every corner of the globe, God offers his mercy and kindness in the Lord Jesus. So two truths about God today. The two truths about God we had were God is unchanging and God is abundantly merciful and kind. And our action point today is that we repent. My challenge for us today is that we would turn away from what is false and sinful and that we would turn to the one true God, the maker of heaven and earth. Now there is a repentance for the unbeliever. So in my history, when there, there was the time when I was not following God, when I was moving away from God, and there came a time where I had to say, I'm turning from doing my own way to following God, and I come to him in faith for salvation. And the scripture tells us that when we come to Jesus and we put our faith in what he's done for us, he adopts us into the family of God. And the gracious, compassionate, unchanging God holds us in our hands and he promises he will never let us go. John chapter 10 says, no one can snatch them out of my hand. And when we come to faith in Jesus, he declares us righteous. Not because of our own righteousness, but because we take on the righteousness of Jesus Christ as a gift. And he forgives our sins so that I cannot be more forgiven than I'm forgiven right now. And he sets us apart for himself. He does that for us. And then we have the promise that Pastor Borden read in Philippians a couple weeks ago, that he who began the good work and you will be faithful to complete it. The fact that I'm part of the family of God today does not mean that I'm perfect. It means that I'm in his family (laughs) and that he is the one watching out for me. So if you have never had a point in your life where you've said, I want to turn toward God and follow him, I want to put my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, I would challenge you to turn toward God today. And for those of you who have put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, I would challenge you to keep using those three difficult words. I was wrong. Thanks. Need a little help. Get it out. I was wrong. So uh, just by illustration, I think about it like this. You know, uh, when you pick your desk, you get in the car, you open your app, and you pick your destination, Right? So it's like in life. If my destination is not moving toward God, I have the wrong destination. (laughs) I need to say, I need to move toward him as my Lord and Savior. So I put the right destination in, and that means that I have to do a 180. I have to do the U-turn, away from my own way to God's way. And now I'm going God's way, and I've got it in the GPS, and I'm going. But you know what? If I am unattentive and I let go of the wheel on that car, what happens? I start hitting those rumble strips. 
You know, it's so embarrassing. You're driving a group of people. You hit the rumble stars. Like, oh, sorry. You know, you hit the, you start getting off the road. And, and that's what the scriptures tell us again and again in the Christian life, that the Christian life is us giving attention to our hearts, where our heart's going. And when we hear those rumble strips, that we, we respond to that in life. We say, I was wrong. I need to turn. Or maybe you're driving the car and you make a wrong turn and you hear the GPS saying, uh, reconfiguring, do a U-turn, do a U-turn. And if you're anything like me, you're like, no, 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 I know a better way. You know, turn this thing off, you know, and we keep going. And then pretty soon you see the sign says, welcome to Kansas, we have to turn the car around. And uh, so this is a little bit of an illustration, I think, that's been helpful for me, just to think about what we do as followers of Jesus. That even when we're followers of Jesus, we need to look at our hearts daily and have a, a habit, a pattern of repenting, of saying, I was wrong, of realizing in my heart there was a lie, I need to change it. And Jesus challenges his church that way. In the book of Revelation, Jesus is giving a message to a church in Laodicea. These are believers he's talking to. And what does he say to them? Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So this is family language. This is Jesus talking to his family. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. This is his message to his church in Laodicea. And I think he asks us, and we see this as the testimony of the scriptures and our fathers in the faith, that it is necessary for the believer to look at his heart and have a pattern of repenting. Because you either have a repenting believer or you have a drifting believer. Either you have a repenting church or you have a drifting church. And that's why we keep have to be going back to the word of God. Jonah needed to repent. The people of Nineveh needed to repent. And so, what do we do? We turn. The word repent basically means to turn. We turn from self-reliance to relying on God. When we find lies, we turn to truth. When we find foolish desires, we turn to wisdom. When we have indifference, we turn to loving action. When we find that we are holding on to anger, we turn from that anger to forgiveness. When we find bitterness, we turn toward praying prayers of blessing for others. And as we see anything in our lives taking first place over the Lord Jesus, when Jesus starts to take that second place in our hearts, we move those things out of the way and we put Jesus first place in our lives. So how do we become this repenting Christian, this repenting church? I would say two things are very important. One is the word of God. As we see the word of God, it's like a mirror, the book of James says, that shows us what's true about ourselves. As we cooperate with the word of God and the spirit of God, we're going to see those things in our hearts where we need to make those changes. And also God's people, his church. As we live in community, we're able to challenge each other and encourage each other. So sometimes we have this example, like uh, <clears throat> in my life, you know, there was this moment, recent history, I said some unkind words to somebody I care about. And when, when you do something like that and you get a little space on it, you're like, oh, 
I don't like that about myself. Why did I do that? So, you know, there's an action to repent from, like unkind words toward kind words. But I really encourage us to just use those moments where you have those strong emotions or like something you're not proud of. We're like, that was wrong. Like to say, what false belief was I clinging on to that motivated that? And for me, I looked at it and I said, there was a few things going on, but one was I was believing a lie that I couldn't trust God to provide for me and I had to do something myself. I was believing a lie that I had to worry about money. You know, if you say that out loud in church like I just did, it sounds really unspiritual, like, oh, I believed I couldn't trust God to provide for me. But when I really looked at my behavior, that was one thing that was driving it. And so that kind of clarity of coming before God and taking our hearts to God and saying, how do we, how do we repent? How, where do we turn? So in uh, wrapping up today, three very useful words. I was wrong. And as we come to the word of God, we will find those places. And it's hard to say, but I will tell you there is sweet fruit to saying those bitter words. (laughs) That only from leaving lies and going to truth do we move from despair to hope. Do we move from regret to peace. So what I'd like to do now in wrapping up today is just to move into a time of reflection and then we'll move into a time of invitation. And uh, I would just encourage you to do this today and to make this a pattern of your prayer life. Uh, To just ask the Lord to show you what's in your heart and then to respond based on the truth of his word. So let me read Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24 to us today. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. What I'd like to invite you to do is just stand right where you are. Stand right where you are. Every stand up. And uh, we're going to read this in unison. And I just want to encourage you to read this as a prayer. Read this as not just I'm saying something loud in church, but we're talking to the Lord Jesus here and we're asking him to look at our hearts and we're going to go into a time of prayer. And today, if you've never trusted in the Lord for salvation, there's a huge invitation here. God is abundantly kind, and he's inviting you to turn to him today. And for all of us, that we would just ask the Lord, show us those places in life where I I need to make a correction. I need to make a correction. I need to admit I was wrong and go toward the truth. So let's read this together today. Search me, O God know my heart try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting and lord jesus we come before you today grateful for this story uh, in the book of jonah we have a people that were not seeking you and you sent a reluctant prophet (laughs) to help them And you showed them abundant grace and mercy. So we pray today, Lord Jesus, that you would show us in our hearts those places that we need to walk away from lies and toward truth, 
walk away from sin and toward right action, and turn our hearts toward you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.